Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you being influenced? If you watched a blockbuster film in the last decade, then there's a chance it's been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. In Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash jesse. I know you're paying attention to global events. Wars bubbling up everywhere. Countries are buying and hoarding mass amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our heads in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. Jesse Kelly here. If you're in a situation where you feel threatened, instinct may drive you to reach for lethal means immediately. But we all want to avoid the irreversible consequences of deadly force. Enter the Berna Less Lethal Pistol Launcher, equipped with tear gas and kinetic ammo to incapacitate an attacker for up to 40 minutes. It's legal in all 50 states, requires no background checks, and can be shipped right to your door. Visit Berna.com slash Jesse now for an exclusive 10% discount. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a 1,000 at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWRetention.com. That's NWRetention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show.
You know, it's complicated. How often do we have that talk here on the show? It's complicated. We're about to talk today about a man whose legacy is complicated. Full disclosure, I don't view his legacy as being complicated for the same reason everyone else does. We're talking today about Andrew Carnegie and Henry Frick a little. It's not Carnegie, I should say, I should mention. He's Scottish. It's Carnegie. That's how you say it. Don't shake your head, Chris. It is. I, on my life, I realize I'm not exactly a linguist, but it's Carnegie. Believe me. And since I've said Carnegie my entire life, I'm undoubtedly going to call him Carnegie several times today on accident because I'm just learning that it's Carnegie and I've said it wrong forever. But there are things I find so fascinating about him. One thing in particular I find horrifying. Overall, very impressive human being. And History Channel did some series a while back. I don't remember when it was. A few years back. And I've only ever seen like two episodes of it. And one of them was actually the Carnegie episode. Or he was one of the main people in it. And it was called The Men Who Built America. And I've always been fascinated by that. Well, I should mention the, the one or two episodes I saw were outstanding. I don't know how accurate they were. They were outstanding. though, Really well done. And my kids, if I remember right, enjoyed them too. I always try to find history things I can show my kids. They won't run out of the room screaming for. But I thought about that title, The Men Who Built America. And I thought about this history theory this theory of the great man. It's called the great man theory. And the theory is simply this. I guess it's not a history theory. It's just a life theory that great men, I'm not saying good men, I'm not saying moral men, that great men make the world go round, for lack of a better way to put it. That every now and then a special human being is born Special human being gets put in the right circumstances, seizes the right moment, and makes the world go round. Undoubtedly, I mean, 99.99% of the time, that man is going to cause pain along the way as he makes the world go round. Now, not all of them are Genghis Khan, 40 million people with their heads chopped off pain, but pain is pain. And I thought about that title, The Men Who Built America. And it's all the men you would think of. You know, it's Rockefeller. It's Vanderbilt. It's Carnegie. It's J.P. Morgan. It's, it's, it's all, the, all the titans you would know, all names you'd know. And all of them have this complicated legacy. But the title of the show, pretty applicable. Look out your window. Whatever you see out your window, as long as it's not countryside right now, those names almost undoubtedly 
had a hand in building it. Created where we live now. Carnegie is an interesting dude. Very interesting dude. Let us begin at the beginning. And oh, I should mention, I have a billion debate thoughts from last night. I will get to it. I have all kinds of audio clips I'm going to play for you today. It's going to be a it's going to be a debate recap heavy show. Once I'm done doing my thing, so just gonna have to sit there and be patient for a little while. You know what you're getting when you tune in here. Unless it's a nuclear blast, I'm opening the show talking about history every single day. Carnegie was born in Scotland and born poor. He was actually born in an attic. His family was, yeah, it was rough. His father was a weaver. Now, obviously, that's not exactly lucrative. At some point, they moved up from being in an attic to living in a one-room cottage with another family. Imagine living with your whole family in a one-bedroom anything, just you Now let another family move in. Talk about a different way to live. Well, Andrew had an uncle in America. Pittsburgh, to be specific. And the family, they finally lost out on the whole Weaver thing because of the Industrial Revolution. Technology being what it is, you don't need anybody to hand weave things anymore for you when this machine can hand weave a lot more than you can in a lifetime, quickly. Family decides... We are going to America. This was very, very difficult on Andrew and Andrew's mother. We don't know a lot about his father, but Andrew, we know, wept when he left. He was 12 years old when he left Scotland. His mother ripped her heart out, but they left, and that's a common tale, isn't it? Not just for people in Scotland, all the people of history, sometimes... In order to put food on the table, you have to rip your whole life apart. And that is tough. That is tough. I have a, it certainly wasn't dire like this, but look, my story is similar. 10 years old. All I'd ever known was living in this tiny part of Ohio, 10 years old. My old man needed work. Wanted to live out West. Pack up your stuff. Say goodbye to everybody you've ever known. Oh, and you'll never, ever see them again. Let's go. We're gone. Moving out to Montana. That's life. He gets to America. Should be noted. He gets to America pre-immigration check-in at Ellis Island. It was really wide open back then. They just kind of got off the boat and headed to Pittsburgh. (laughs) That's so wild to think about. Yeah, it's fine. I'm sure it'll work out. And it wasn't easy getting to and fro back then. There were trains, but not many of them. And the schedules, as you can imagine, were a little crazy. So you had to take trains and steamboats. You had to bypass where you're going at one point, then turn around and go back to where you're going. It took a long time 
Andrew Carnegie ends up in Pittsburgh. Stop making that face when I say it, Chris. That's how you say the name, okay? That's how you say the name. He ends up in Pittsburgh, and at the age of 12, Andrew Carnegie gets a full-time job because his family is so poor. And when I say full-time, I mean he's working 12-hour days. Now, I don't want to get off on a tangent here. I understand I'm a barbarian and a monster, but this is also why I am so against these child labor laws in this country. You can look at that story and say that sucks for a 12-year-old. Yeah, okay. Andrew Carnegie, when he was a billionaire later in life, said the happiest he ever was was when he would get a paycheck at the age of 12 at the end of the week because he knew he was helping his family eat. That's worth something. Hang on. stocky follow like and subscribe on social at jesse kelly dc i hate car repairs and you know that saying they only happen at the worst time it's it's true i'm, I'm going through them right now and i'm so grateful for car shield you know you don't have to stare nervously at your vehicle as soon as that check engine light comes on you can go to carshield.com and start making sure you're protected from financial wipeout. You see, they have protection plans that can save you thousands on covered repairs. And get this, it works while you're traveling too. You take that long road trip, your car breaks down out of state, Car Shield is still there for you, and you can still choose your repair shop. They have payments that are flexible as well. They're here to help you. Go to carshield.com. That's carshield.com. Don't forget to use the code JESSE. Saves you 10%. Carnegie. Is not just your average dude, apparently, because he's just an errand boy. That's it. He's just an errand boy. But gets himself hooked up as a message runner, for lack of a better way to put it. And you and I don't even understand what this is anymore. Nor would we. I will tell you, I used to, I used to watch my old man work construction. And he was, in general, you know, superintendent, something like that. By the time I was old enough, he was, you know, the dude in charge most of the time. And I'd watch him conduct his business. 
And this started to get into the era of the cell phone. Now, you remember the original cell phones, that gargantuan thing the size of a shoebox you had to hold up to your head? Or it was just a truck phone. I remember at one point he had a truck phone. And I would watch him take important calls all the time and make important calls all the time. Hey, we need extra this over here. We need more of this there. Oh, hey, you didn't get your payment. I'll get that done right away. Important calls, stuff that had to be done. And I will tell you, I often thought about, because I was always apparently a weird kid, I often thought about how did you ever get anything done before you were able to communicate with people relatively quickly? Uh, How? Well, the answer was they did communicate with people relatively quickly. They sent messengers. It was more than just telegraphs, although that was part of it, and he's going to be involved in telegraphs. But you had runners for you. Sometimes you just flat out employed one. It would be a young boy, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15, Here's, here's four letters. This one's going to this address. They give it, put it in this guy's hands. This one's going to that address. This is going to that address. This one's going to that address. Go. Oh, and you got to hurry because this one has to get there at this point. Goodbye. And you run. And then they'll give you a letter to bring back. And that's, I mean, it was old school text messaging. You sent runners all the time. Communication. Not instant. It's not a text message. But that's how they did it. And I know you're not going to be shocked by this. Carnegie did it really, really well. A real sense of duty early on. And I mean sense of duty. You told Carnegie to go climb Mount Everest without a coat on to deliver a message to a man at the top. Carnegie would find a way to get to the freaking top of Mount Everest and deliver a message at the top. I don't know what that is or why that is. I don't know if he got that from his parents. I don't know if he got that from growing up poor. I don't know if that's just the way God made him, but that's how he was. He goes from being a telegraph messenger boy to doing more and more important things like picking up payroll checks. Remember, This is not the era of direct deposit where you pick up your cell phone and, wow, I got paid last night. You had to have a physical check in your hand. A very, very, very important deal. And the kid was not only responsible, but apparently dripping with charisma. Everybody loved him. Not boisterous. Does not. I mean, by all accounts, he was not one of these loud, boisterous, have to be the life of the party types. But charisma, a lot of it. Now he gets to know a man in the Pennsylvania Railroad, and in that system. And this man sees something in Andrew. He decides he's going to take him in. And this is the moment in Andrew Carnegie's life where it changed. It changed from being a guy who's probably going to make it to, wow, with Tom Scott, that was his mentor's name, with Tom Scott helping me, 
I might make it big. And Tom Scott takes this man under his wing and shows him the ropes about business. Shows him how to conduct himself. Shows him how to think ahead, not behind. Always be thinking ahead. And he Andrew goes from working for Tom Scott to being Tom Scott's right-hand man very, very quickly. And he would do things, risky things, but intelligent things that blew people away, including Tom Scott. For instance, one day, Tom Scott is delayed getting to work. Now, this is an era, a more disconnected era than ours, back to what we were just talking about, where if somebody was very late to work, you didn't know why. They couldn't call. They couldn't text message. And if he didn't have a messenger boy with him, you weren't going to know. You don't know if he's dead on the side of the road somewhere or if he just had to stop and go poop. You don't have any idea. But what Andrew Carnegie did know was that Tom Scott was coordinating all these trains at the time. Carnegie shows up to work to go see his boss. Boss is not there, and uh uh-oh, there's been a huge, huge accident with one of the trains, and now all of these trains going to different places have stopped, which is a huge deal. Carnegie could have done what most people would have done, maybe what you would have done, maybe what I would have done, I don't know. But he could have done the, all right, well, everybody just hang out. And we'll, we'll wait and see when, when Mr. Scott gets here. Carnegie instead decides, oh, you know what? I'm just going to take over. Now, remember, Carnegie has no authority in this company right now whatsoever. He's essentially the personal assistant of Tom Scott. He coordinates all the trains, not one train, all the trains to go to various destinations and on his orders as he gives them, He signs Tom Scott's name. (laughs) Who does that? Carnegie does. And it all worked perfectly. Scott shows up and, wait, you did what now? And everything's fine? Oh, oh, okay. Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go grab a scotch. You just keep doing your thing. (laughs) So clearly... This is a man with a vision for things. Scott also approaches Carnegie with an investment opportunity, and it's important for you to understand this. This was not the modern era. Investing in things and then getting money back for investing in things like a stock market, like bonds, like a gold IRA, it was... New. That's not really how people conducted business back at this time. But Scott approaches Carnegie and says, look, I have an investment. This is what an investment is. I have a can't miss investment for you. It's going to cost you $500 though. That is a gargantuan amount of money back then. And while while Carnegie is no longer starving. His family's doing fine now. So, I mean, lower middle class, you would probably call them. His family's doing fine. 
not starving, but he don't have 500 bucks, that's for sure. He approaches his mother, his mother who he adored almost weirdly for his entire life. Like when Carnegie was a billionaire, he was living in a hotel suite with his mother still. Don't, Chris, don't make it weird. All right, they're very, quit. Chris, see, this is what Chris does to the show. Hang on. HomeTitleLock.com. Go there while I'm speaking to you and at least register your address. That's all I'm asking you to do. Go register your address because there's a chance you're already a victim of home title theft and don't even know it. And you wouldn't know it. It's not like it's your fault. They don't send you, the thieves don't send you a memo as soon as they've they've taken money. Hey, just a heads up, Bill. We, we stole your home title. Sorry. No, you don't know until you start getting past due notices in the mail that somebody logged in, hacked in. Forged your signature on your home title, took a loan out against it, and now you have to pay it back. And the worst part is you start getting the late notices, you think it's you think it's junk mail, right? Well, I didn't take that loan out. Yes, you did. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now. While you're there, sign up. Use the code RADIO. Get yourself 30 days of free protection. HomeTitleLock.com. Carnegie gets the $500 because he gets mom to take out a mortgage on their house. Now, please hear me out. Do not take out a mortgage on your home to invest the money. Please hear me out. This isn't the 1800s and your name ain't Andrew Carnegie. And, and this is an important thing you need to understand... Remember how I told you this whole investing stock market thing was new back then? You know what they didn't have? They didn't have insider trading laws. In fact, Carnegie, as one of his gospels of finance, I believe is what he called it, would later say, you never invest in anything unless you have inside information. And that wasn't considered immoral. That was considered the smart thing to do. Well, no, I'm not investing. Do you know someone there? Are they doing something different? Why would I invest? This was what I'm trying to tell you as close to a sure thing as you can get in investing, and that doesn't exist anymore. Do not take out a mortgage on your home to invest the money. Please. Need to really drive that point home here, Chris. (laughs) That is important. But Carnegie does, and he nails it. Absolutely nails it. Starts getting dividend checks in the mail. Starts figuring out exactly how this whole thing works. And it's going well. This is the era now, forgetting about the telegraphs, we are entering an era of trains. Specifically, let's talk for a moment about the Civil War. 
Carnegie, his real, I mean, his knack for things, and as you'll see as we go along, his knack is seeing what's coming, seeing what the next big thing is going to be before it becomes a big thing. He gets into trains when the trains are sprawling out west. Big time. Remember, that's how a lot of these guys built their fortune, Vanderbilt and others. It was a huge deal. Remember our Lewis and Clark show? Well, once it got explored, somebody had to get there. The United States government was uniquely invested in making sure Americans would head west and began to put roots down out there because, as we talked about during the Lewis and Clark exploration, possession is nine-tenths of the law. We had to get those Spanish and the dirty French people out of our country. <laughs> Quick, Chris, their chicks are hot. It's fine. It's fine. The government is essentially writing massive checks to the railroad companies to build their railroads out west and giving them property on either side of the railroad, which turned out to be a huge racket as well because you'd stop somewhere for a train station and, oh, I guess we need a hotel. I guess we need this. I guess we need that. Oh, look, there's a town that I, the railroad, owned. Not a bad gig. We're not getting into all that now. That'll be another day. But, But Carnegie's involved in trains. Then... He starts to find out how big oil is about to be, and you need to change your thinking on oil right now as far as what it was back then. Oil was not difficult to find lots of the time. They were all over the place. It was just bubbling out of the ground. But they didn't necessarily have a ton of use for it or know how to use it. And when oil got really big in America and started making people millionaires and billionaires, it was not because it was going in the tank of your car. There weren't cars. It's because, get this, it was going into lamps. You see at night in your home, if you wanted light up to this point, you had a candle. Or a fire in your fireplace. And that's what you had. Well, all of a sudden, I can have a lamp that shines brighter and lasts a lot longer because I have oil in it. Homes across America became lit up at night. Cities would light up their streets with streetlights run on oil. That's when oil became lucrative. Isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? Carnegie invests in that too. Now, back to what I was talking about. World War II. The trains are, well, I don't want to say played out. But remember, you've only got so much room for so much track Once you have a train track here, you don't need a train track anywhere close to that, and soon the tracks are pretty filled. Well, Carnegie sees the Civil War break out. It should be noted Carnegie was a rabid abolitionist, loved Abraham Lincoln, met him multiple times, talked about him in his book, hated slavery, so he, I mean, look, he was in it for the right reasons. 
But he also was in it for business reasons, and he was starting to see something during the Civil War. He was starting to see America's bridge system collapse for a couple different reasons. The obvious reason is during the Civil War, people were blowing them up. We were blowing up. We, like I was fighting in it. The North and the South were blowing up each other's bridges, period. That's how you fight wars. You cut off supply lines, as every listener of this show well knows by now. Cut off routes, cut off supply lines. Not only were bridges being blown up on purpose, bridges up to this point were all made from wood. Well, you know what happens to wood over time. They were in a state of disrepair. Carnegie sees this. As he gets involved in the Civil War, now he's involved with the North. And when I say involved, he's doing telegraph lines and trains and things like that. But as he gets involved, he looks ahead and he sees, oh, this bridge business is going to be really, really big business. And he goes and starts his own bridge company. I believe it was called Keystone. Don't quote me on that. I didn't write anything down. Keystone. Starts his own bridge company And now, well, he called it once again, Carnegie is starting to get stupid rich. Stupid rich because everybody needs a bridge built or everybody needs their old bridge torn down and a new bridge built. They needed a gigantic bridge across the Mississippi River. And that's not easy. It's not easy for a couple different reasons. One, the river is so huge, it's difficult. Two, the bridge has to be, one, strong enough to hold a train and pedestrians. And two, it has to be tall enough that the steamboats where trade happens can fit underneath it. This is not easy. Not easy by a long shot. Carnegie, however, has an idea. What if instead of using iron, we use steel for this thing? Okay, let's use some steel. Uh, Where do we get steel? I mean, steel's out there right now, I should explain. Steel is out there. It's obviously better in every way than iron, but it is very hard to come by because the process for producing it is just slower. You can only produce it in small quantities. They would make uh, silverware from it. That's one of the main things they would do with steel. It would be forks, knives, and spoons. That's just, well, that's about all we can do at a time. Carnegie figures to himself there has to be a better way, and I'm sure he heard about there being a better way. So he travels to Europe and sees somebody out there has found a better way. And Andrew Carnegie comes back from Europe with the ability to mass-produce steel. Hang on. I've got an animal inside of me. This is Jesse Kelly. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. You know what's coming right now financially in this country. Everybody knows. You talk to anybody in finance and they'll tell you the same thing. 
Only they don't use the words crash. They don't use words like recession or depression. They're finance guys. They all use the same word, don't they? Correction. Oh, there's going to be a market correction. Why does the market need a correction? Because the feds have been printing money by the trillion while everybody's going out of business or having their business reduced. That means it's a fact the market is going to correct. Don't have all your finances wiped out. If you have all your money in stocks and bonds right now, come on. Get a gold IRA from Gold Alliance and make sure you're protected. Go to goldalliance.com slash jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash jesse. Go there now. Take care of this today. Carnegie comes back, and he starts producing steel. And he starts doing things. Well, he'd already been doing things like this, but he really starts ramping up something called vertical integration. And vertical integration is simply this. You start buying up everything in your chain of business. The best way I can describe it is this. Amazon coming up with their own delivery service instead of using UPS and FedEx. That is textbook vertical integration. Carnegie does get his St. Louis Bridge built, I should I should say. And part of vertical vertical integration if you're Carnegie is you need Coke Not cocaine, not Coca-Cola. Don't be immature, Chris. Coke is something from coal. It's like a gas from coal that helps you mass produce the steel. The big Coke man in America at the time is a man named Henry Frick. Henry Frick is an interesting character. Henry Frick is a very, very hard man. Hard-nosed, vicious, brutal, ruthless, ruthless individual. Carnegie, well, Carnegie was raised to be more gentle. Carnegie actually believed, believed in all his heart that he was supposed to treat people fairly and kindly. Carnegie didn't believe in dying with money. He said to die rich is a disgrace. Carnegie believed you should give all your money away at some point in time. That's that's what Carnegie believed. Uh, Henry Frick didn't believe any of that. None of that. But Carnegie and Frick complimented each other really well. Frick could do a lot of the things Carnegie wanted done but didn't have the stomach to do, and we're going to get to that. You see, Frick is all about that cutting costs life. Well, so was Carnegie. 
But Frick was willing to actually do the necessary things to make this happen. And allow me to explain. They believed, and they weren't wrong about this, that if you cut costs as a business, that profits would come no matter what. And this is business 101. Cut your costs down. Now, you can take that to extremes. You can get too extreme with it. You can get too greedy at some point trying to maximize profits and underpay your people, and then they walk to your competitor. It's a dangerous game. But just know every businessman, whether you're Andrew freaking Carnegie or the local boutique shop, every single one of them has a profit loss sheet where they are showing assets and liabilities. They're looking at costs. What's costing them? And every single business without fail looks at those costs and tries to figure out how to reduce them. And it should be noted, labor is a huge cost. And this is when it gets uncomfortable because now we're talking about you and I, right? And I will tell you, while I don't like unions, I've never been a part of a union. I grew up, again, construction family, Rust Belt, Ohio, I understand unions, and I understand a man who's never going to be Andrew Carnegie, but wants better wages, better hours, better benefits for his family. I get it. I'm ne- you're never going to hear me defend these disgusting teachers unions or, or government unions. Ever. You're never, ever going to hear me defend these. But a lot of these unions, I understand, and I'm not saying I'm a supporter of them, but I get them. I get them a lot. We're talking about someone else's life, too, when you're looking at cutting those labor costs. I have always believed you should treat your employees well. Not not so they stay. I mean, that's a nice benefit because I just believe that's, frankly, the right thing to do. Period. And if they screw you, which they will, so be it. You did the right thing, they're gone. Whatever. I believe in treating your employees well. Carnegie said he believed that and kind of believed that. Henry Frick didn't believe that at all. Henry Frick believed, I'm here to cut costs and I'll fire all of you if I feel like it. Before we get to how how all that plays out, just know Henry Frick gets welcomed in by Andrew Carnegie as his chairman. He's his number two. He is a very, very powerful, very, very wealthy man. Hang on. Super wealthy, 
you do super wealthy things. And I don't judge people for that. I don't care about that. You do all the fun things, all the things that bring you joy that you can afford, right? Whatever that is. I don't care if that's a, uh, I don't care if that's a, a pizza night once a week or a, a Learjet to Paris. You do the things that you can afford that bring you joy. And rich people, one thing I really, really learned in my run for Congress is that rich people love hanging out with other rich people, rubbing elbows with other rich people. Now, one, they do this because they talk about so many of the same things. Oh, you have a new Bentley? Jolly good old chap. But they do this for business reasons. I'll explain. Jesse Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Rich people love hanging out with other rich people for business reasons. I really found this out when I was running for Congress and you would hang out with these rich people and you'd go golfing with them. And then you'd come back to the golf club house and you're sitting down and you're having lunch and there's a bunch of millionaires sitting around a table and they start talking about money and investing in each other's stuff like it's monopoly money. Hey, Frank, so you want to put 50000 in this new barber thing? You good for that? Oh, cool. Nice. I'll swing. I'll have my guy swing by later and grab that check. Hey, Bill, you, you're still good for the two hundred fifty grand in the dealership up the road? Oh, good. De- and that's just how they talk. As if, you know, hey, I'm all good. Can I have some salt? Can someone pass the salt? And that's fine. That's how rich people get richer. That's fine. That's capitalism good for them. And that's why you end up with exclusive clubs for rich people. They enjoy being in that environment, and I get that. And the people who resent that are the people who can't get in. And as soon as you can afford to get in, you get in, and you don't want the scumbags in. We're all trying to get in the club. No one else can get in. And until you can get in, you whine about it and say, everybody should be allowed in. And the second you can get in, you're like, oh, we don't want him in here. It's human nature. Frick starts a a hunting club, a fishing club on a lake in Pennsylvania. Buys a big piece of property, puts a sweet building on it, and it is exactly what it sounds like. It's right on a lake. It is gorgeous. You can go see pictures of it to this day, although they're black and white, I'm sure, unless somebody's colorized them. And it's cigars, five-star chefs, 
It's husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends if they're rich. And it's fancy dinners, relaxation, the best booze, fishing, hunting with other rich people. The titans of industry. It's a members-only club. You don't just go knocking on the door. No, Chris, they would not have welcomed us in. You have to join. Carnegie joins the club. It's Frick's club, but Carnegie joins. And it's all fine, right? This wouldn't even be a story. We wouldn't even be talking about this, except, well, this lake has a dam. The dam is... Old and not in the best shape when the land is purchased. All this would be okay, too, if there wasn't a little place called Johnstown. A little town underneath the dam. Not directly underneath, but it's, you know what I'm talking about. Now is when it gets controversial. Now's when it's. That's when we're going to have to have some hard discussions here about who's at fault for what. We do know this for a fact. A fact. The Hunt and Fish Club owned that dam. It was part of their property, which is kind of weird when you think about it. How could a private thing? But they owned it. Owned it so much that they made adjustments to it. And you notice I did not say improvements. They're putting in things like screens for fishing they're lowering the height of the dam that's so people could get their you know carriages across the dam looked a little better lowering the height of an already old feeble dam that was holding back three billion tons of water and then Nature happened. Pennsylvania got, I think it still may be a record, don't quote me on that, but they got rainfall like you can't possibly imagine where the lake was rising an inch an hour. They're freaking out. They actually send a message to Johnstown. It was a telegram and said, evacuate the town now. This dam's going to break. But here's the problem. You live in Johnstown. You've heard this before. You're well aware there's a weak dam up there. And every time a bad storm rolls in, someone sends a telegram to evacuate the town. So you know what you don't do? You don't evacuate the town. And people will judge them for that. I hear this all the time when you talk about what happened in Johnstown. How could you not evacuate? Especially when you talk about all the carnage that happened. How could you not? Uh, There were kids, their families. How could you not take that chance? And I think about, well, when's the last time I evacuated when I was told to evacuate because of hurricanes coming here? I've been through several. More hurricanes than I can count. I've been through a bunch of them. Well, let's see. The last time I evacuated would be the first time because it's never happened. Every single time I roll my eyes at these warnings, I go to the store, I make sure I'm stocked up on batteries, water, and non-perishable foods, and beer. I fill up my car with gas. 
and I watch TV until the power goes out, and then I hang out with my buddies in the garage watching the storm for an hour, and then I go to sleep. Why? Because I've been told to evacuate 10,000 times and nothing bad has ever happened. That's why. So I sympathize. However, on May 28, 1889, they got 10 inches of water in a day on an already weak dam. And it blew. It blew, and I think it was 3.4. It was over 3 billion tons of water came pouring down towards this town. A 40-foot-high tidal wave. And it's not just the water. I mean, There are quotes in here. I'm reading a quote here from Gertrude Quinn Slatterly. Said, quote, it was like the day of judgment I have seen, I have since seen, pictured in books. Screams, cries, people running. It's not just the water. It's that the water is picking up stuff. On the way through, by the time the water even gets to Johnstown, how much, how many trees, entire trees are in that tidal wave? Johnstown also has a train track. The water hits it. It's now carrying locomotives, entire locomotives. Do you think that does damage in a 40-foot high tidal wave? I don't have a better way to put it. Honestly, I this happened, like I said, 1889, this happened, and I was watching something on it last night, and watching on it, I felt myself, I heard myself say to myself, I said, oh, God have mercy. It's You can see pictures of it to this day. Go look up Johnstown Flood, J-O-N-S-T-O-W-N, and you will say it to yourself, God have mercy. Until 9-11 the most deadly man-made disaster in American history. 2,209 people died, 400 kids. 99 entire families gone. The country was in shock. And when things like that happen, Loss, heartbreak, like that happen, people are going to look around for somebody to blame. And, man, does that Hunt and Fish Club look real bad right about now. Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. Subscribe wherever you find podcasts. Everybody knows about gold by now. It's not exactly news that, hey, gold is worth something. Everybody's known this forever. Why don't you have any in your portfolio? Explain that to me. Do you think that times have changed that much? It provides stability is what it provides. I understand 
there's always a new sexy stock out there that you want to buy. And I'm not telling you not to buy it. Go buy it. Enjoy yourself. But make sure you're backstopped against financial disaster by having a gold IRA from Gold Alliance. That's all I'm saying. Diversify. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You've heard that saying a thousand times. It really, really, really applies to where you invest your money. Go to goldalliance.com slash jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash jesse. Go there now and protect your retirement. People of America and the survivors of Johnstown start looking for a pound of flesh. They rest their eyes on the boatload of rich people who just weakened the dam that burst. And they start suing. But they start losing. You see, that's the thing about the law. We love the, you know, we love justice is blind. Lady Justice. I don't know if Lady Justice is blind or not, but I know this. If my lawyer costs $1,000 an hour and your lawyer costs $50 an hour, my lawyer is going to make the jury believe that Lady Justice can actually see. I'm not doing this whining about the rich people thing. I don't, but it's simply a fact of life. The people at that hunt and, hunt and fish club, Carnegie, Frick, all of them, they can afford an army of the best attorneys money can buy. The people in Johnstown can't afford squat. So the people at the hunt and fish club refuse to pay a dime and they win against all the lawsuits put against them. Now, if I can defend the rich people here for a moment, because this is part of Carnegie's Carnegie's legacy, is this. You read any biography on him, they'll bring this up. It's a big part of it. And because he was the big national name, he was much more famous than Henry Frick, his name was attached to this more than anyone else. And people yell about this to this day. Don't tell me how charitable Carnegie was. He should have he paid those families. Maybe he should have. But hear me out. The second Carnegie strokes one check for $1 to one family, then what you've just done is You've told the court system and the other families that you do feel like you're liable. As soon as you accept the tiniest amount of liability, they will exploit that and clean you out. Maybe it was the right thing to start paying those families. But financially, legally, it dang sure wasn't the smart thing. Not at all. Maybe he wanted to. I guarantee you his lawyers pulled him aside and said, do not do it. You can't. The rest of the vultures will come clean you out. 
Nevertheless, Johnstown, ugly. I would recommend you go check it out. You'll see things like huge trees hanging out the side of houses. It was uh, is ugly, very ugly. Okay, so Carnegie is now persona non grata in the public public's eyes for a while, but the business of business doesn't stop. And he has another issue on his hands. Remember who's running the show at Carnegie's steel plants. He bought a huge one in Homestead, Pennsylvania. It's gigantic. I still think it's there to this day, by the way. Don't quote me on that. But he's churning out steel and Mr. Frick is making sure they're churning out as much steel as humanly possible. And the costs are as low as possible. And to accomplish this, Frick is working his men, in some cases, to death. If you ever want to be a little more pro-union than you were the day before, read how Henry Frick treated his men 12-hour days in a steel mill, six days a week. You don't like it. You're fired. You don't want unions. That's how you're going to get one. You treat a bunch of workers like that. As you can imagine, the workers have had about enough of this. And there are deaths. There are injuries. And remember what life is like if that's your job. If you wait, Maybe you work in a plant now. Maybe you work with your hands now. And God love you for it. I think that's a great living. I've already told you, especially my oldest son, I'm pushing him that way. Welding, electrician, plumbing, something like that. I... I I don't look down on those professions like other people do. I think they're awesome. And heck, you can make a boatload of money if you start your own little shop doing it. Be that as it may. If you're one of those guys and you get a nasty injury, what if you lose a thumb? What if you lose a hand or a foot? You're financially wiped out. Your family's starving to death. So you want safer working conditions or your kids don't eat. You can't look at that guy in the face and scold him about why unions are so bad. The workers start to organize. Frick is not a man to abide by any of this crap at all. Frick tells the workers, no, absolutely not. The workers tell Frick, screw you. And now we've got a problem on our hands. And this is my big problem with Andrew Carnegie. It's not all the other stuff in his life. Carnegie, he's over there in Scotland. He left the country. He's luxuriating in Scotland. Specifically so he can be away from all this conflict and away from the press after Johnstown. And he's over there wanting Frick to handle things his own way, but doesn't want to get his own hands dirty. Oh, I'm above all that. I We should treat the worker well. And yet we have correspondence between Carnegie and Frick saying, uh, yeah, get it done. Get it done. So Frick gets it done. The workers, I can't seem to get an accurate number on this. The workers organize and they basically 
retreat into the factory and shut it down. I've heard 2,000 workers. I've heard 3,000, 4,000. I've heard 5,000. There's a lot of workers. There's thousands of them. Well, you're Henry Frick. You're not putting up with that. So you go hire some people you've probably heard of, the Pinkertons, the Pinkerton Detective Agency. Yes, that Pinkertons, the ones who hunted down the bank robbers and the Jesse James and all that. Well, at this point in history, remember, the Pinkerton Detective Agency is so huge and wealthy and powerful, they're bigger than the United States Army. We had a small army at the time, but they're huge. Frick, all the money in the world, hires 300 of them armed Pinkertons to come in and get rid of these union guys. That does not go well. There ends up being a shootout. And this is part of what drives me insane when you're trying to learn about things that happen in history because everything now is tilted from a completely leftist point of view. You watch shows on this, read things about this, listen to podcasts on this, and they act like these 300 Pinkertons walked in and just gunned down all the union guys. And these poor union pacifists just... Helpless little lambs. Um, No. The union guys had guns too, and they were shooting back. At the end of the day, nine union guys got killed. Seven Pinkertons got killed. It was a shootout. You can take a side either way. It doesn't matter. But the union guys won the day. However, the thing about being fabulously wealthy is this. You get friends in high places. When you have friends in high places, it allows you to work around certain things. Hang on. HomeTitleLock.com. It can save you a lot of headache, and you need to take this from me. It is not difficult for them to get a hold of your home title because they did it to me. It's nothing for these hackers to, to, to get it. It's just not. Your home title is not a piece of paper somewhere. You like to think that it is. I, I thought it was, to be totally honest. And then I found out, no, 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 no. They're all digital now. And these hackers, it's cake for them. That's why cybercrime is up 75% right now. It's just so easy. It's easy money for a criminal. And unless you have HomeTitleLock.com, yours is just hanging out there begging to be stolen. They get it, forge your signature on it, take a loan out against it, and you have to pay it back. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and use the code RADIO while you're there. You get 30 days of free protection. Joining me now, 
from the Independent Women's Forum, and she writes awesome stuff for the Federalist, and I think she writes for, like, everybody else, too. Everybody goes to Inez Stepman now. Inez, how many other places do you write stuff for? Um, well, you know, you've got the biggest ones. Obviously, my day job is with Independent Women's Forum, uh, where I'm a policy analyst, but uh, I've also been published in New York Post and City Journal, a couple, you know, all, all of the... Uh, all of the dissident publications. Right? <laughs> is it only women who work at the Independent Women's Forum? That is. Uh, that is true. And, and I, I don't know. Uh, that, that might become illegal after the ERA is ratified. <laughs> All right, Inez. I loved last night's debate. I loved it. I, I thought it was fantastic. I don't need the veneer of politeness. I like that they just say to each other's faces what they've always said behind each other's backs now. But I'm a barbarian. What did you see? So I think there's a difference between wanting civility, which I, I agree with you, I care a little about at this point, um, and, and having something where it's just three septuagenarians talking over each other so that you can't hear a single, like, coherent point being made by anyone. It was like one of those cable news segments where everyone is yelling, except 96 minutes of it. And I, I don't know. I, that, I, I thought it was a totally useless debate. Um, which I think is kind of bad for Trump because not, even though I don't think he really lost, I also don't think he really won. Um, and, and, you know, at this point, if, if the polls are accurate, uh, then he, he, you know, he needed to turn in a, a performance that actually convinced folks or turned out his own base. And I, I just, I think everybody ordinary tuned out of this after the first 30 to 40 minutes because they just couldn't listen to these three guys talking over each other. Do you believe the polls? I, I I don't know what to believe anymore. And as like, I never want to be the guy who dismisses all the polls. All oh, the polls are lying. It's all fake news. I think that's absurd. But at the same time, they were all wrong last time. Like this wrong. Well, what do you believe? Um, I, I'm I'm in your camp. I don't really know what to believe, and I'm far from a political prognosticator. Uh, but I I I I would be willing to believe that the polls are uh, wrong by some number of points. Um, especially at Sean Trendy does some fantastic work explaining why uh, the polls actually perennially under poll the white working class, especially in the, in the Rust Belt. There are some like structural issues with how they conduct the polls. Um, and he's not convinced, he's a pollster, he's not convinced uh, that, that the polls have really fixed those structural issues. So it's not that I like sort of wholeheartedly believe the polls, but, but I do think that Biden has some kind of an edge going in to a lot of these states. I think it's probably narrower than what the polls show. Um, but, but you know, especially if you don't know, you got to play like you're behind. Uh, and and uh, I, I'm not sure that this debate really helped the president, and, and particularly given the way that Biden is campaigning from his basement um, <laughs> with calling Liz at 930 every other day, uh, there might be a limited number of chances he has to actually you know, sort of nail him to the wall on certain things. And instead, this time around, he, he, he really didn't give him enough rope to hang himself, I think. Like, he, he didn't give Biden enough uh, time to, to, to get out, for example, um, to have to make the decision between offending his base and offending moderates. Uh, and and so I, I think he could have done a better job in, in allowing Biden to actually have to answer the question. Because in a lot of cases, he didn't have to answer the questions because Trump just interrupted him within the first two words. He did. He did. And I, I'm, I'm of two schools of thought on that part of it. Trump did interrupt a lot. And it was annoying if you wanted to hear what Biden say. And, and I did. I, I didn't think Biden could get through two minutes without a bunch of screw ups. And he really showed that the times he did get 
you know, two minutes to speak. But I believe that Trump has this philosophy of making it all about him all the time. That's why every debate, primary in general, has been all about Trump. And he believes that makes him the winner. And so far, he's been the winner of all these. You you, you give any credence to that? Um, I think there's a difference between interrupting with something to say, which he did sometimes. So I think there was a segment in the middle of the debate where he, uh, especially on, on BLM and rioting and law and order, I think he did really well, where he, he interrupted, but with a purpose, right? So he would interrupt when Biden said something that wasn't true or mischaracterized something about his administration, and, and he refused to shut up um, about some mischaracterization about him. That, I think, has a purpose. In the beginning of the debate, he was just interrupting to interrupt. Like, he, he didn't give anybody a chance to get, you know, three words out before he interrupted. And it wasn't to make a particular point, right? It wasn't for a zinger. It wasn't for, like, uh, you know, you're wrong, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it was sort of just willy-nilly, and I, I think it just added up to cacophony. Um, and I don't know about you, but when I hear those cable news segments, I just switch them off. Now, I had to watch this debate because – it's my job. But if, if it hadn't been, I would have just switched it off within, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes because I just couldn't take the like yelling over each other anymore. Um, and, and the thing is, you can tell that Trump's underlying strategy was to expose, which I think is an important thing, to expose the, the huge chasm between what Biden says to the general public or to moderate voters and, and the policies he embraces and the winks and nods he likes to give his own base who are not happy with him at all. And I think he to that extent, I think Biden actually put in a, a bad performance in the sense that, you know, his denial of the existence of Antifa and painting critical race theory as just this, you know, um, sort of benign racial sensitivity training or whatever, that's not going to please swing voters and moderates who are worried about the rise of the woke left, right? Um, but on the flip side, he described his economic plan quote, Wall Street approved, right? And, and he reversed himself blatantly, like obviously on the New Deal. A lot of Bernie voters are not happy with Biden to begin with. And he really kind of kicks them to the curb in this debate without really turning in a moderate performance um, for swing voters. So, again, I think if he had talked more, he would have <laughs> done more uh, to, to kind of expose that gap and that he really can't bridge um, between different parts of the left. But uh, he didn't get a chance to talk more. So I, I think in that sense, uh, you know, Trump, Trump was his own worst enemy. And as you wrote an article, I particularly loved the title called Get Your Kids Out of Government Schools. Explain. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think this is the greatest political opportunity the right has had in 70 years, right? If we go back to the creation of the modern conservative movement in the 1950s with, you know, William F. Buckley, um, and then, you know, in terms of politicians, Goldwater, who lost, and Reagan, who won, the sort of traditional conservative movement, um, it's, it's been too focused on political victories, and it's ignored, I think especially the 80s, ignored the long march of the institutions of the left. Well, here in 2020, virtually every institution in our our life and culture is not just left, but far left and actually pushing out the left liberals now, right? So, like, media is obviously has been biased for decades and decades. Um, Hollywood's been biased for decades and only turns out movies where Americans are the bad guys, right? Um, And and then the most important 
institutions are the education system, right? So we've been complaining about universities for 70 years since Buckley wrote God and Man at Yale, and we've done absolutely nothing about it to defund them or to make their lives difficult in any way. In fact, we've done the opposite. We've taxpayer bankrolled their entire business system. Um, but we've, we've truly, truly criminally ignored the K-12 system um, in this country. And, and I think we have a large opportunity now with the way that um, a lot of school administrators and teachers unions are exposing themselves as wholly political in this reopening debate. Um, in fact, there's very little correlation. There was a large study done. Um, the biggest correlate uh, for schools not opening is actually the power of the unions within a district, right? So it's not infection rate. It has nothing to do with public health. And some of these de demands from teachers unions for reopening are, you know, getting rid of school choice programs, closing off other options for parents. In, in one case, they demanded the police be defunded before schools can reopen, right? These are transparently political demands and parents are sick of it. And I think, you know, conservatives, this is a golden opportunity for us. We got to step right into there, into that divide, and offer parents alternatives. Amen. We got to support them with programs uh, like ESAs, school choice, and we got to back them up. Amen. And as Devin, outstanding as always. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. All right, we'll wrap up our story and we'll get to the debate. Hang on. CarShield.com, well, they save you a lot of money and they save you a lot of headache. You see, they provide auto protection plans. In fact, they're America's number one auto protection company. They go further for you. They help out more than other auto protection companies do. And get this, you can choose your favorite mechanic. You can choose your dealership you want to work with. Even if your car breaks down and you're traveling, CarShield lets you choose the repair shop, and they save you thousands of dollars on covered repairs. Go to CarShield.com and check out their customizable plans today. CarShield.com. Don't forget to use the code JESSE while you're there. Use the code JESSE because that saves you 10%. Remember, a deductible may apply. CarShield.com, code JESSE. Don't get financially ruined by auto repairs. You don't have to do that anymore. CarShield.com. You see, when you're Andrew Carnegie and Henry Frick, and your Pinkertons don't work out, you've always got the governor on speed dial, or their version of speed dial. They get the gov on the phone. He calls in the militia and puts down the strike. I'm not making that up. Well, you're still got some real publicity problems if you're freaking Carnegie because you just shot a bunch of union workers or, or just steel workers. What you need is you need somebody to change the mind of the public. And it just so happens there was an anarchist movement rising in America at this time. Remember, it wasn't much long after this. Our president, McKinley, was shot and killed by an anarchist. These anarchists are some violent folks, as you may have seen today. An anarchist, in response to what Frick did with the Pinkerton people, 
storms into Frick's office, shoots him twice in the head and neck, that like shot him in the earlobe and one in the neck, and then takes a sharpened steel file and stabs him in the leg four times. Frick fights back, starts punching the guy. One of Frick's friends fights, starts, they join, they punch the guy out. Frick not only lives after being shot twice and stabbed four times, he's back at his desk in a week. The anarchist got 22 years in prison, just so you know. Now, that would just be a side story, except it completely changed public opinion while the guys trying to unionize had nothing to do with Frick getting shot. They were blamed for it. Public turned against them. Those guys essentially never worked again. Eventually, Andrew Carnegie runs up against a man. I can't honestly tell if this was a rivalry or whether it was something welcomed by Carnegie. He runs up against a man by the name of J.P. Morgan, a man who has one of my favorite quotes of all time. If you have to ask the price, You probably can't afford it. J.P. Morgan is a banker, but more than anything, he's a man who buys up mostly failing companies and turns them profitable or buys up whole industries and streamlines them. J.P. Morgan, again, I cannot tell whether or not this is a nasty rivalry or welcome. J.P. Morgan creates the second biggest steel company in America, and he wants to buy the biggest one, which is Carnegie's. He tells Carnegie, make me a price. Carnegie makes him a price. I think it was $438 million, which is an absurd amount of money back then. J.P. Morgan doesn't even haggle, says absolutely. Strokes Carnegie a check. Carnegie walks away from it all. Now, while Carnegie believed in giving his wealth away, you need to understand a couple things. One, he obviously set aside a nice little trust so his family can live comfortably, not super wealthy, but comfortably for a while. Two, he did not believe in charities because he just believed the money would be squandered and men would just waste it. Carnegie was all about trying to give people tools to lift themselves up which I think is really admirable. I think it's really, really cool. So Carnegie built libraries everywhere. I'm talking 3,000 libraries. There's a chance if you've been in a public library, Carnegie might have funded the thing. Universities, libraries, places of learning, that's what Carnegie did before he eventually died of pneumonia at the age of 83. Funny part about that is after the whole Frick Union thing, to wrap up our story here, Carnegie blamed it on Frick publicly, even though Carnegie in private had encouraged Frick. They had a huge falling out. They were enemies for the rest of their lives until Carnegie's on his deathbed. When he's on his deathbed, he wants to make amends with everybody he's ever offended. He has a runner 
go meet with Frick, who still hates him. They hated each other, badmouthed each other public forever. Has a runner go meet Frick and ask if Frick will come meet him. And Henry Frick responds, yes, you can tell Carnegie I'll meet him. Tell him I'll see him in hell where we're both going. (laughs) And that is the very nitty-gritty version of Andrew Carnegie. And my big problem with him is it's not the wages. It's not even the the dam thing, the the Johnstown dam thing. My big problem with Carnegie is wanting something done and demanding someone else do it because it's uncomfortable. I see way, way too much of this going on right now. It's time for some debate talk. uncomfortable battle is uncomfortable political and otherwise you know the great von Clausewitz famously said war is a continuation of politics by other means politics is a non-violent sometimes form of that I see so much pearl clutching from the right today over that debate last night and specifically whining about Donald Trump bringing up certain things, talking over the moderator, interrupting Joe Biden. What do you think defeating the left looks like? We're about to play a bunch of audio and discuss this thing, but let me ask you, while while we're in this break, let me ask you, do you genuinely believe Defeating the left will be polite and easy. Hang on. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Do you want to know why producer Chris has to edit emails to important people for me before I send them off? Because 
I lack the ability to sugarcoat things sometimes when I have to. And it's not that I can't do it. I find doing it disgusting. I don't enjoy the veneer of civility if we hate each other or if I have a problem with you. I've never enjoyed it. That's why, one, I enjoyed last night a great deal. Everybody complaining about the food fight and name-calling and interrupting. That's how all those people talk about each other as soon as the cameras are off behind their backs. So I don't need you to smile with your hair made of wood. I need you to just let me know how you really feel. Joe Biden thinks Donald Trump's an idiot. Donald Trump thinks Joe Biden's a corrupt scumbag. Chris Wallace hates Donald Trump's guts. And I'm fine with that because y'all told me so last night. That works for me. That's one. Two, I don't pine for the old days that are a total lie that you've invented in your mind of polite politics. Politics has never been polite. And stop pointing out Mitt Romney. That fake scumbag is bad-mouthing everybody, at least in his mind, or at least to family and friends. With that nice smile, and I'm just a grandpa, oh, shut up. No, you aren't. I don't need you to lie to me. I don't need you to make it look nice. I don't care that it was a big ugly food fight. I don't hold these people up to be loftier than they are. They're politicians. And when they argue about politics in their mind, they're arguing the exact way you and your buddies and you and your neighbors argue about politics. They interrupt each other. They think each other are stupid. They tell each other to shut up. I don't need to be lied to. I don't need that at all. I don't need it at all. I need I need people to say their honest opinions and I need Republicans and people on the right to be willing to say uncomfortable things because it will not be comfortable defeating the left if you think it will. It's time for you to grow up. I need things like this. China ate your lunch, Joe. And no wonder your son goes in and he takes out He takes out billions of dollars, takes out billions of dollars to manage. He makes millions of dollars. And also, while we're at it, why is it, just out of curiosity, the mayor of Moscow's wife gave your son three and a half million dollars. What did he do to deserve it? What did he do with Barista to deserve $183,000? Yeah, it is true. And I immediately saw Republicans, oh, that's out of bounds. Why is it out of bounds? Why do you think defeating the left is polite and easy? It's not. Nothing worthwhile is polite and easy. Think about, think about America. Think about the moments that pop into your head. If I were to ask you, list me a few of what you think are the greatest moments in American history. What are they? You know, 
We're all we're all gonna have the same few things, you know. Oh, the revolution, the American re- standing up to the British. The American Revolution was not fought by jotting down the Declaration of Independence and signing your name on it. The American Revolution was fought by firing musket balls into people's faces and watching them die as they called for their mommy. Uh, uh, The D-Day invasion, the greatest generation, storming the beaches of Normandy and then firing flamethrowers into Nazi pillboxes and watching people burn alive and scream. Getting things done is uncomfortable. There's not a comfortable way to storm the beaches of Normandy to fight an American revolution. It's uncomfortable. Beating the left will not look nice. This absurd myth we have about the gentleman warrior. They all look like George Washington sitting atop a noble steed. Just got time, just got done with Bible study. And now he's off to to fight the British politely. Um, You need to do some more reading on George Washington. Defeating the left is going to be impolite. It's going to be uncomfortable. Maybe Donald Trump isn't your preferred messenger for it. This isn't some full-throated defense of everything Trump. You know, I don't wave every anybody's pom-poms on this show. But things like that are what it's going to look like. Period. That's what it's going to look like. You don't like that Donald Trump interrupted Joe Biden, interrupted Chris Wallace the whole night? You know what the alternative is? You sit there politely like a noble gentleman and watch the moderator who hates your guts defend Joe Biden and stomp on you all night long. Either you step in and take over or he steps in and dominates. You have two choices. There's not a third. Donald Trump did it right. Now, let's go through a couple quotes here. Let's begin with, well, let's just start pulling some random ones, and I'll tell you my thoughts. They will, under my proposal. It's not what you've said, and it's not what your party has said. That is simply Your party doesn't say it. Your party wants to go socialist medicine. My party is me. And socialist Right now, I am And they're going to dominate you, Joe. You know that. I am the Democratic Party right now. The platform of the Democratic Party is what I, in fact, approved of. I am the Democratic Party right now. Even Joe Biden didn't sound like he believed that. And Donald Trump interrupting him, saying they're going to dominate you, Joe. Again, that's not presidential. That's uncomfortable. It's also true and everybody in America needed to hear it, and there's not another person in America, definitely not Chris freaking Wallace, who's going to inform America that that's true. Nobody is. It's going to get uncomfortable. And you and I have to become comfortable with uncomfortable. 
It's just the bottom line. All right. What's the next one? We're ending the filibuster or packing the court. Whatever position I take on that, that'll become the issue. The issue is the American people should speak. You should go out and vote. You're in voting now. Vote and let your senators know how you strongly you feel. Court? Let Vote now. Are you pack the Make court? sure you, in fact, let people know you're a senator. I'm not going to answer the question. Why because, would you answer that because question? Because the you question is, the question Supreme is, the radical question, left. Will you who shut is up, on, man. Listen, who is on your list, Joe? This Who's is on your so list? right. Gentlemen, this is, I think this we've is ended so this. He's going to pack the court. We have end, no, no, not going to give a list. We have ended this segment. We're going to move on to the second segment. That was really a productive segment, wasn't it? Keep yapping, man. The people understand, Joe. <laughs> they sure 47 do. years, you've Joe. done nothing. They understand. Oh, okay. All right. All true. If Donald Trump doesn't interrupt there and press him on that question, who else does? Nobody. Hang on. That fan in my truck that you've heard me talk about before that gives you problems, oh yeah, it's back. And my electrical problem in my truck, you remember me talking about that too, cost me five, six hundred bucks last time, it's back too. Only, I'm done stressing about it. You remember how mad I was before? I'm done stressing about it. I have CarShield now. CarShield is America's number one auto protection company. And I don't have to stress the payments either. Because the payments are flexible and customizable to meet your exact needs. CarShield lets me go pick whatever mechanic I want. They let me go pick whatever dealership I want. And if my car breaks down when I'm out there on the road, when I'm traveling, I can pick one out there on the road too. They'll take care of you. Trust me on that. Go to CarShield.com now. While you're there, use the code JESSE. That saves you 10%. CarShield.com. Jesse Kelly. Back soon. Let me defend. Don't throw things at the radio. Allow me to defend Chris Wallace for a moment, who I know you all hate today more than you hated the day before. Chris Wallace hates Donald Trump's guts, 100%. Chris Wallace defended Joe Biden and went after Donald Trump all night long. Yep, 100% true. Wallace is clearly a leftist with his defense of critical race theory, his defense of man-made climate change and all these other things. 100% true. I'm not going to argue against any of that. What I am going to say is this. One, being a moderator of a debate is the most thankless job in America this side of working the lost luggage counter at the airport. When is the last time? Be honest. You don't even have to tell me, although you're welcome to. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Be honest right now. 
When is the last time you watched a debate and said to yourself or your friends, man, that moderator did a great job? Never. Don't lie. You've never once said it. It's completely thankless. Either you don't have enough control or you take too much control or you're attacking the other guy too much or not letting your guy speak enough. It's it's a completely thankless job that's impossible to do and satisfy others. That's one reason I'm defending Wallace, and I can't believe I'm defending Wallace today. The second reason is this. If you take the job of being a moderator, and let's all just agree it's a completely thankless job because I'm right it is. Now, you need to go ahead and magnify that 9,000 times if you're the moderator for a debate that Donald Trump is involved in. Donald Trump, I 100% believe this is intentional by now, dominates the headlines and the TV time of every debate he's ever been in by a mile. I believe he does it on purpose. I believe even when his opponents do something dumb, or are about to say something dumb, Donald Trump will step in to talk over them just so everyone will focus on him more. Be it positive or negative, Donald Trump believes in owning the conversation. Last night, who was that entire debate about? Donald Trump. Everyone knows it. Good or bad, the entire debate was about Donald Trump. He does it on purpose. He did it Clear back in the GOP primary when there were eight or nine people in the field. You remember that? They'd have a whole stage of nine people, and Trump would get like half the talk time. And even if they didn't call on him, Trump would just start talking, and the moderator would step in. It's actually his turn. Yeah, but I'm not finished yet, and Trump would just keep going. And what do you want the moderator to do? I mean, you can yell all day long. Chris Wallace should have controlled things more. What what do you want him to do? Hook Hook up a shot caller to him? Unless you're going to cut off his mic, and even that might not work, you're not going to control when Donald Trump speaks. He's not going to let you. There's nothing Wallace can do about Donald Trump interrupting all night long. Now, again, when I say defend Chris Wallace, I'm simply defending the job he did last night. Kind of. He also had some moments that were completely indefensible as a moderator. But I don't like to nitpick moderators. But when Chris Wallace brought up to Joe Biden that you ran because of Donald Trump's very fine people statements, when Chris Wallace knows for a fact that is a lie, a a lie that Democrats have repeated all the time. We've played for you a thousand times on this show what Trump really said. For Chris Wallace to repeat a, a lie that he knows is a lie, and present it to Joe Biden as a fact, that is embarrassing. That was a terrible, embarrassing moment for Wallace. All right. Now, we did get to some substance on some things. And I actually, oh, to say one nice thing about Biden as well, I thought it was effective. I thought Biden did okay compared to how I thought he would, you know, do at the end. I thought he would run out. Remember, I thought the drugs would wear off. I thought he did okay. And I thought his looking at the camera and speaking right to you, speaking right to me, I thought that was effective. I like when candidates do that. Trump didn't do that at all. Biden did. I liked it a lot. Now, I'll be very, very interested. It's not like you can get any straight information anymore. But I'll be very interested in how the American people responded to this whole exchange. 
And he wants to close down the he will shut it down again. He will destroy this country. You know, a lot of people between drugs and alcohol and depression, when you start shutting it down, you take a look at what's happening at some of your Democrat run states where they have these tough shutdowns. And I'm telling you, it's because they don't want to open it. One of them came out last week. You saw that. Oh, we're going to open up on November 9th. Why November 9th? Because it's after the election. They think they're hurting us by keeping them closed. They're hurting people. People know what to do. They can social distance. They can wash the hands. They can wear masks. They can do whatever they want. But they got to open these states up. When you look at North Carolina, when you look and these governors are under siege, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and a couple of others, you got to open these states up. It's not fair. You're talking about almost it's like being in prison. And you look at what's going on with divorce. Look at what's going on with alcoholism and drugs. It's a very, very sad thing. And he'll close down the whole country. This guy will close down the whole country and destroy our country. Our country is coming back incredibly well, setting records as it does it. We don't need somebody to come in and say, let's shut it down. I wonder how that's going to play. Because Trump is right. Obviously, the things Trump are, Trump is saying there are music to my ears. It's stuff I've been screaming for a long time. But Joe Biden is the wear a mask everywhere, shut the country down candidate. He said that on the campaign trail. Donald Trump has clearly chosen the opposite path. This is an issue where I'm genuinely curious where the American people fall. I know where I fall, and I fall there strongly. However, I look around, man, and I see a lot of people still buying into the hype, and I mean a lot of people. Is Donald Trump viewed as irresponsible for what he said? One more thing before I get to the rest of the audio we have and whatnot. I don't understand political people who watch things like that debate last night and whine about it. And I saw this all over social media, all over the place. Oh, I hate this. Oh, somebody kill me now. Oh, this is the worst thing ever. Buddy, that's as fun as politics gets. If you watched last night and i'm not actually trying to be mean for once if you watched last night and you didn't get any enjoyment out of that and that made you miserable to watch you need to take a break from politics or walk away completely because this ain't this game ain't for you that's politics man that's politics politics is a contact sport I don't know how we have lied to ourselves that it should all just be this this wave of politeness. Politics is a contact sport. You remember that story? I'm I'm not going to name the names because I'm going to screw them up. Of a guy from the south approaching a guy from the north. This is during the Civil War era. And the guy from the south was upset about something the guy from the north had said. And he took his cane and beat the guy from the north almost to death with it on the floor of the house, the guy from the south goes back to his office, waits around for a few days, 
and starts getting canes in the mail, mailed to him by his supporters who loved what he did, sending him new canes. It's politics, man. I know you've done the smart thing with your money. You've set aside some money as much as you possibly can, maybe a lot, maybe a little, and you've invested it in stocks and bonds, and I support you do that. We all want to retire one day, right? Even me. I love my job. One day I would like to just go ahead and retire, I'm sure. But please tell me you don't have every dime of yours in stocks and bonds. You have to have a gold IRA from Gold Alliance as part of of your portfolio. Not the whole portfolio, but part of your portfolio has to be a gold IRA. It just does. You know what the feds have done with money, right? They're printing it by the trillion, unbacked. That story only ends one way, and we all know what that way is. Go to goldalliance.com slash jesse and sign up. You know you can get up to $5,000 in free gold and silver coins? goldalliance.com slash jesse well chris chris brings up a point about cutting off the mic. He thinks they should be able to cut off the mic. And as I said, one, that wouldn't stop Trump from talking. It wouldn't. He would just keep talking. He'd talk louder. One, two, it is a tough spot if you're a moderator and you're dealing with the president of the United States of America. I understand you're Chris Wallace. You hate Trump's guts. You made that very obvious. Everyone knows that. But he's still the president of the United States of America. You cut off a man's mic. That's uh, how's that any different than saying, shut up. I I, honestly, it's probably worse, right? Now, I don't, maybe you hate Trump. Maybe you hated Obama. I hated Obama. Hated, still hate. Um, I would never shout at Barack Obama to shut up. I don't, in fact, I don't think I'd say that to another human being, period, let alone the president of the United States of America. Maybe I'm wrong in that. Maybe I'm weird, but I don't know that you can if you're Chris Wallace. Okay, you're done talking. Beep, mic off. Right? You see what I mean, Chris? That's quite that's quite a step. He's, look, vice versa with, with, with Joe Biden. I don't like Joe Biden, but... He was a United States senator for 9,000 years and vice president for eight years. Can I just hammer the mic off button? Now that's a good idea. Chris just had the first good idea he's ever had on the show. He said, what if the mic is on a timer? Now that might work, actually. That really might work. However, again, I don't mean to just nitpick all your ideas here, Chris. However... Don't you like the free flow of it a little more? I do. I Again, maybe I'm weird in that. I like it. Let's just have a good brawl out here. Let's let's just have a good brawl. 
I mean, I liked moments like this from Trump last night when he was making fun of, of, of Biden's record and doing basically nothing. Let me just tell you, Joe, I've done more in, in 47 months. I've done more than you've done in 47 years, Joe. We've done things that you never even thought of doing, okay. including Gentlemen, fixing the broken military that you gave me, let's, including let's, taking care of we're your talking vets. Mr. Pri- true. Absolutely true. Donald Trump has accomplished a lot as president. Now, you can argue, well, it's a little unfair when you have the power of the presidency and Joe Biden, but what it really points out is this. Joe Biden was a do-nothing senator forever. You never heard Joe Biden's name 40 years in the United States Senate, and you didn't know Joe Biden's name. Even if you're a total political nerd, which you probably are, you didn't know Joe Biden's name until Barack Obama chose Joe Biden to be his vice president. I couldn't name you all 100 senators. I talk politics for four hours a day. I don't know that I could name 30 of them. I don't think I could, right? You didn't know Joe Biden. He was another no-name nobody. You had no idea who Joe Biden was because he never did anything. And isn't that the biggest indictment on Joe Biden? What have you done? How are you running? You know, because you're always running for president when you're trying to unseat somebody. Well, running for any office when you're trying to unseat somebody. You're always running as the, I'm the change we need. Obama was great at that. I'm hoping change, 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 change. I mean, they all. everyone runs on some version of that when you're trying to unseat someone. How can Joe Biden run on changing anything? Brother, you've already been there forever. Forever. Yeah, think about that. Trump, you know what? He brought up something good, too about pharma, and he brought up something good about Wallace, and I want you to listen to this, and if you're ever considering running for office, I want you to listen and take notes and pay attention because this is how it's done. You, in the course of these four years, have never come up with a comprehensive plan to replace Obamacare, and just this last Thursday, you signed a largely symbolic executive order to protect people with pre-existing conditions five days before this debate. So my question, sir, is what is the Trump health care plan? Well, first of all, I guess I'm debating you, not him, but that's okay. I'm not surprised. Let me just tell you something, that (laughs) there's nothing symbolic. I'm cutting drug prices. I'm going with favored nations, which no president has the courage to do because you're going against big pharma. He was right. Yes, I'm debating you, Chris, but... It doesn't pay to complain about it. It pays to be ready for it. If you're a Republican running for office, you debate the moderators. And this isn't unique to presidential races. Remember, I've done multiple political debates on stage in front of crowds in my life in my two runs for Congress. Huge primary debates, huge general election debates against the Democrats. And in the general election debates against the Democrat, 
you're hated by everyone. The first general election debate, I bet it's still online somewhere, Chris. We should pull some audio from it somewhere. The first general election I ever did, debate I ever did, against Gabrielle Giffords. I was the nominee. She's the Democrat. There was some libertarian out there, Steve Stoltz, I think was his name. And we were at the University of Arizona for the debate. And so you can imagine what the environment was like at the university. They were spitting at me and screaming at me. And the moderators hated me. And you can see, if you pull the audio or if it still exists out there, you'll see I had this gigantic blank eating grin on my face the whole time because I thought it was absolutely fantastic. The more they yelled at me, the more I was enjoying myself. And it was hilarious. But that's because mentally I knew what it was going to be before I got out there. And I reveled in it. I enjoyed it. And you have to have that mentality going forward. You do. The mentality going forward is I'm going to take on the moderator and the other candidate. That's life. That's how it's going to be. But back to what I was saying before. In the coming years, there are going to be more heated political fights. What you're seeing right now with Donald Trump, I think a lot of people are are confusing what they're seeing. What you're seeing with the violent leftists in the streets and the more in-your-face Donald Trump way of politics. I think a lot of people, they get uncomfortable. It's human nature to get uncomfortable with conflict, and they want it to end. They, they, just, they just want to get past all this. I've actually had people tell me, I almost, I almost wish Biden would win, just so all this will quiet down again. You have to set that aside. There is no quieting down again. This is how it has to be. In fact, if it quiets down again, that means we're losing. You can't have it quiet. You simply can't. You can't have it quiet. Quiet means we lose. And the Democrats, like we've talked about all the time, Democrats mean what they say. Why do you think Joe Biden wouldn't answer that question about packing the court last night? Do you think it's because he had some less than radical solution? Hang on. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. HomeTitleLock.com. They can save you a lot of trouble. Frankly, I wish I'd known about them about six months ago. And I will tell you, I didn't even know what home title theft was. I had no idea it was the cyber crime of the day. You asked the FBI, which one are they worried about? It's home title theft. And I didn't know. I had no idea. I didn't realize my home title was just sitting out there online. I thought it was a piece of paper sitting in a bank vault. Nope. 
It's online. And it's so easy for these cyber criminals to hack into it, forge your signature on it. They forged mine and they forged my wife's on the home title. And it looked real. To be honest, when I first saw it, I thought it was real. I was that confused. Take a loan out against it and financially wipe you out. Go to HomeTitleLock.com so it doesn't happen to you. HomeTitleLock.com. Don't forget to use the code RADIO. Gets you 30 free days of protection. Democrats mean what they say, and we are going to enter a different time period here. And I don't want you to be—see, this is what's happening. Because people are uncomfortable with conflict and and things, and I get that. It's human nature. It's creating so much anxiety and stress with people. I can't tell you how many— Text messages I get from friends of, man, are we going to be okay? Is everything going to be I'm so nervous about. Buddy, I know the stakes are high. You cannot let this stuff consume you. You simply have to accept things. Accept that things have changed. When they talk like this, they mean it. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant... In a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and our honoring our Constitution are are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels, that this isn't, they're not going to let up, and they should not. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. They mean it. And you don't have to stress about it. And let me tell you something else. I'm not trying to make it worse for you, but 
How do you think they're going to react if Donald Trump gets reelected? They're going to lose their collective minds. Let's let's put it to you this way. Chris, do me a favor as quickly as possible. Pull me up the two oldest Supreme Court justices right now. We're about to have a 6-3 majority on the Supreme Court. What if Donald Trump gets elected for four more years and does a couple of obvious things? One, he'll replace Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas is our greatest Supreme Court judge in my mind. And we'll do the patriotic thing and retire to make sure Trump gets to replace him and not a Democrat. Okay, so that just solidifies the 6-3 even more. What if, what if Trump gets to replace another one? What if he does? Stephen Breyer is 82 years old. 82 years old. If Donald Trump gets elected for four more years, there's a chance the Supreme Court is 7-2 to two by the time he leaves. And not only 7-2, to two, remember when you replace them because they're these idiotic lifetime appointments, you're facing 30 years of that guy on the court. How bad do you think the left is going to get to defend that, they're going to lose their minds. I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm trying to let you know this is how it is now. This is how it is now. This is the new era. That debate you saw last night, that's how it is. That's the way it is. The era of Politeness and niceness, man, that stuff, one, it was never really an era anyway, and two, that's always just a temporary phase. You know who's nice? The guy who's won and knows it or the guy who's lost and knows it. When you're actually fighting for power, it's not nice anymore. Email me. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. I read them all. Hang on. As you know, I'm uh, not what you'd call an academic. And so I come to the show completely unprepared every day. And this has happened to me a few times. I had no idea we were at the end of the show. <laughs> Chris just told me coming back from break and I was all, what? Wait. Oh. Oh, crap. <laughs> You know what? We're going to start getting organized on this show. We're going to get a schedule. I'm going to start doing a lot of homework and preparation. Things are going to change, Chris. 
They're going to change real soon. You can catch the whole show. It's all podcasted right after the show on iHeart, Google, Spotify, iTunes. Leave a five-star rating. Leave a review talking about how handsome I am. As you know, I read the great ones on the air. And man, you guys kill me. Kill me. All right. Take heart. You're going to be fine. That's all. Jesse Kelly Show. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm going to go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. Hollywood is under siege from external forces. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover. Brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash jesse. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes and their families since 9-11. Hero first responders and service members who serve our communities and our country. Those who die in the line of duty or are catastrophically injured. Veterans who fought for our nation's freedoms only to return home, fall on tough times, and become homeless. Heroes like Buffalo, New York firefighter Jason Arno and his family. Arno was killed while protecting his community battling a warehouse fire. He left behind his wife and a young daughter. In their darkest hour, Tunnel to Towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage-free home. The foundation lifted a financial burden, enabling them to stay in the home where they made memories with their hero. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Support the families of America's greatest heroes, the families of fallen first responders like Jason Arno, plus Gold Star families with young children, catastrophically injured service members, and homeless veterans. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 
If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that historically delivers sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. The 2024 election is upon us, and now is the time to fight back against the war on masculinity in American society today. Thankfully, the patriots at Chuck, C-H-O-Q, are here to help real American men maximize their masculinity by boosting testosterone levels up to 20% over 90 days. I've been taking a male vitality stack from Chuck for like three years now. It is incredible. They are here to help make American men strong again. Testosterone testosterone fueled again maximize your masculinity today at choq.com use the code jesse for a massive discount on any chalk subscription for life choq.com code jesse limited time offer subscription cancelable at any time